Vida Abundante welcomes you to our SoundCloud page. We'd like to invite you to download our app, available in the App Store and on Google Play. Also, you can now follow us on Instagram under the name Vida Abu or on Facebook under the name Vida Abundante Cicero. Believe it or not, we're on our third part in the book of Hosea on the first verse. So we've been three weeks, this is going to be a third week in verse one of Hosea, and I pray that we finish it today. And if we don't, well, I'm going to force myself, you're going to have to stick here another half an hour until I do finish it. But I'm promising, I'm hoping that this is going to be finished by the end of today, but it's been very important for us to understand See, we can't dig deeper into Hosea if we don't know what's happening, right? We can't dig deeper in if we don't know the context of the, of the history of, of what's going on in the book of Hosea and why God, when we read later on, why God says what he says, and it's a little bit harsh. Like, why do we, why are we going to, how are we going to understand that if God, if we don't know what it means, what, what's going on in the book of Hosea? So, what we've talked about was the historical setup. We've also set up a spiritual setup, which was kind of important, especially with the last king, uh, King Ahaz, who was a cruel king, who was a king that was defying and tempting God with his rebellion against him. Uh, Ahaz was the one that closed the doors to the temple, who set up altars all over the city, set up these uh, high places of worship, so that, we, so that the people of Judah can bow down to these foreign gods. Ahaz was the guy that asked for help for the, by the Assyrian king. And the Assyrian king, instead of helping him, actually hurt him more. So a lot of negativity is being spread out in, in Judah that also bleeds into the northern kingdom of Israel. So this is setting us up for the message of Hosea. Israel has become defiled, and Judah likewise has become idol worshipers. And Hosea's message is that much stronger because he calls, he calls Israel to repentance. So after these two sets that we've understood, this historical context and the spiritual context, now we're going to set up this last final context, God's grace. How many of you guys can say amen to that? Yes, God's grace is good. Well, there's going to be a lot we're going to learn today about God's grace. But most importantly, the book of Hosea is a compassionate book. Though it has some difficulty in the words of God, some judgment on God, but you have to remember that it is a book of compassion and God's grace comes through at the end. And we're going to see that with one of the last kings that Hosea mentions. Who's the last king on the list that Hosea mentions from Judah? Hezekiah. Verse 1, it has them in order. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. This is the last king he mentions in verse 1. Now, Hezekiah here, is going to serve us 
this understanding of God's grace and God's compassion. As opposed to fearing and, and, and being uh, like angry against God or being kind of uh, rejecting God because he's so wrathful and so angry all the time, Hezekiah is mentioned because he comes in to show us who God is. This is so beautiful. That's why these names, we can't just skip over names in the Bible. Sometimes we want to skip over names because they're so hard to pronounce or they're so hard to, uh, you know, they're just, they, they seem unimportant. But we can't just skip over these names because it provides us a setting of the rest of the book. And Hezekiah is mentioned here to do just that. He's going to provide a setting of God's love over his people. So let's jump into the life of Hezekiah, just the way we've been doing with these other kings. I want to explore the life of Hezekiah. And I want to show you what the Word of God says about the life of Hezekiah and why it's important for the rest of the message in Hosea. So to do that, what have we been doing lately? We've been going back into the Bible, kind of digging deep, and we've been discovering the truth. So I want you to turn back to the book of Chronicles, which is where we've been to help us set up this historical context. And like I've told you last week, I don't think we'll ever have the opportunity to, to preach through the book of Chronicles, especially Second Chronicles. So I'm going to do my best to, to share as much of it as possible whenever we, we do uh, smaller books like Prophets and Amos and Micah and and other prophets that talk about this same time frame. So I just want to make sure you guys understand this. Okay, before we jump into 2 Chronicles, just make sure you understand this. Hosea is first. It's written first of the minor prophets on one side. The book of Chronicles, chronologically, it's towards the end of the, of the Old Testament. And we know that because the book of Chronicles 1 and 2 it tells the story of all of Israel, almost from the beginning, all the way to the, to the Babylonian captivity. So we learn that and we understand that, and that's why we go back to Chronicles and we get to learn about these kings. So if you say, ask yourself, wait, Hosea's over here and then we're going backwards? Like, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Well, chronologically, that's the way it's set up. So I want you guys to just kind of understand that so that we could uh, further dig deep into this. So chapter 29, let's go to chapter 29, and we're going to see why Hezekiah is being used as God's grace and future hope of Israel. Hezekiah chapter 29, we'll start off on, in verse 3, and it says, In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and, what did he do? Repair them. So let me stop right there. What did King Ahaz do? How many of you guys were listening last week? What did King Ahaz do? King Ahaz closed the doors to the temple. He barred them up. He, he destroyed and defiled the temple. What did Hezekiah do? He opened them and he repaired them. So we're kind of getting kind of a, a vision or kind of getting some insight of what kind of a king Hezekiah is, correct? Verse 5 in chapter 29 says, He consecrated the Levites and carried out the filth of the temple. So this is important. Because not only was the temple uh, closed up, but there was 
profanity and filth that has accumulated by the previous kings. They have thrown in junk, garbage, into the temple. And Hezekiah, along with the, the Levites, begin to clean out the temple. Interior cleaning, deep cleaning inside of the temple. Verse 8 says that the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. This is what God has done to Judah. Why? Because they have profaned against the Lord. They have shut the doors to the temple. So Hezekiah is in his first month. This is the first, you know, like our presidential now, uh, candidates, they have the first 100 days. This is kind of Hezekiah's first 100 days, but it's actually 30 days because it's his first month. And is in his first month, and if you read the first verse, he's 25 years old. How many 25-year-olds are in here? So I could be jealous. Amen. Spiritually 25, amen. Uh, 25 years old. Here's a man that has been, his father modeled idol worship. His father was one of the worst kings of Judah. And he was 25 years old. And he does completely opposite of what his father does. And if you're a single lady, look for a man like Hezekiah. Especially one that can open the doors of the temple and clean out the filth. In verse 16, he begins to clean the cleaning of the temple and the inner part. So he goes deep into this. He, in verse 19, he consecrates the utensils. Remember Ahaz, uh, he made the utensils worthless and defiled the utensils of the, of the worship of God. In verse 20 through 24, um, they begin their worship and their sacrificing to the God of Israel, to the God of Israel, Isaac, and Jacob. They begin to worship him, restore worship. And then in the in verses 27 through 29, we get a picture of everybody, not only the priests and the Levites, but everybody bowing down to worship God. What does verse 35 say? Thus the service of the house of the Lord was, what? Restored. Hezekiah restores the worship of God. In a time when the worship of God was defiled was erased and depleted, Hezekiah jumps in to restore the worship of God. His second reformation, that was his first reformation in the first month. In the second month, we have another reformation. Second Chronicles chapter 30, and I'll jump ahead uh, one chapter. Chapter 30, verse 14 says, They set to work and removed the altars that were in Jerusalem. And all the altars for burning incense they took away and threw into the brook of Kidron. What did he do? His father set up, remember what we talked about last week? His father set up altars all over Israel. And what were they doing on those altars? Sacrificing to false gods, false deities. They had metal objects of these gods. They actually have these asher poles that they were worshiping at too, which Second uh, uh, Kings describes that they tear, tear down. But, but Hezekiah comes in and he sees what his dad did. He sees what his old man did and he begins to tear them down. 
He removes the altars. He removes them and throws them away in the brook of Kidron. Chapter 31, verse 1, we see, When all was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the asherim and broke down the, the what? The high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until they all had destroyed them. This is insane because his father does all of this and he establishes this Assyrian form of worship which are called the high places and he goes to the high places not only in the mountains but the ones that were erected all over the city and he destroys them and he takes down their, their asherim poles and he breaks them down. These are all places of worship to false deity, false gods. And Hezekiah is restoring proper worship before the Lord. Now the interesting, the parallel story we also find in 2 Kings. You don't have to go there. Just, you could just write it down. You could read this later on uh, when, we, when we preach through Isaiah. This chapter is going to be very important for you. But chapter 18 of 2 Kings is is a kind of a parallel passage. You don't have to go there, but I'll just read some, some verses from there. In verse 4, he says, He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made for until those days people of Israel had made offerings to it. And the Lord was filled. Uh, the Lord was with him wherever he went. He was prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria. What did his dad do? His dad went to the king of Assyria to ask for help. Hezekiah rebels against the king of Assyria. And then in verses 11 through 12, the king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala and in all the Habor River and in the cities of Medes because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God but transgressed this covenant. Even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened nor obeyed. He's talking about the Israelites, the people in Israel. The king of Assyria took them all away. Israel, at this point in time in history, is without land and is without and is under, sorry, and is under foreign rule. Before, what did Israel have? They had their land. Before, well, how was Israel? They were free. They were governed by God Almighty. They actually lived 40 peaceful years before this. But in that freedom, they began to worship false gods. We studied that at the first week of, of this study. Where is the God of Israel? Where is the God that their parents followed? Why is he not with them? They are broken. They are in shambles. They are defiled themselves. They are, they are slaves now to a foreign nation. But Hezekiah comes in. And Hezekiah paints us the picture of what is to come. This is, this is extremely important. Because Hosea doesn't live through much of Hezekiah's reign. Hosea dies off like at the first two years of his reign. But in that time, 
In that first month of rain, Hosea was able to see what God was going to do. And so therefore, I think that's one of the main reasons Hosea mentions Hezekiah. Even though he didn't live or prophesy through his, through his kingdom, he got to see the first two months of his reformation. This is impressive. This is a man that's seeking after God's heart, and this is a man that sees that the city is about to be taken over. He sees Israel about to be taken over completely, and the only way he finds necessary to intervene is by going to God. And not only praying and asking for deliverance, but Hezekiah goes to worship. And that's a huge point in the life of Hezekiah. In moments of disparity, Ahaz's father went to seek and worship other gods. In moments of disparity and, and, and in moments of, of extreme uh, oppression, Ahaz, his father, went to bow down before other kings and other deity. In moments of disparity, in moments of pressure, what does Hezekiah do? He restores worship. I want, I want you guys to feel that because that's the difference between two men. And it's always going to be like this. There's two men in this world. There's two types of women in this world. There's two types of men in this world. There are those that worship God and there are those that worship other deities. That, that's the path. You see this in the life of Jesus and in the message of Jesus. There's the narrow way and there's the broad way. And some, like Israel and all its kings, went the broad way. There are some that choose the more narrow, more difficult path. But there are some that choose it. And they get life at the end of it. So this is always going to be a reality for everybody. It's, just, it's not just what happened in Israel's time. I want you to really get that. Because this isn't just stories about old, old times. This is the story of a living God in the lives of people in a certain period of time. And this is the same story that's going on in today's culture. There's two roads. There's two different gods. There's two ways. You either worship God or you worship something else. And that's what you have to be confronted with every day. And it's tempting. Because pressure amounts. Because the outside world caves in. Your life can be in shambles. Your life can be destroyed completely. You have no job. You have no outlook. You have no career. You have no money. You're broken down. And what are you going to do? Are you going to do what Ahaz did and go to false kings and worship them? Or are you going to do what Hezekiah does and restore worship? Come to the temple and worship. Consecrate the people and worship. Clean the temple and worship. And he's doing that. He's focusing. And he's getting the people to follow behind him. As, a, as an illustration, I rarely use illustrations, but because we're, we just celebrated the, the 501 year of the Reformation, I, I felt it perfectly in line with what's going on in Hezekiah's time and we have another illustration of 16th century worship. Now this is kind of a great interesting parallel because it has a lot of similarities. There's this 16th century 
theologian by the name of John Calvin that begins a reformation. I don't know if you have heard of John Calvin, but there's a reformation occurring in Germany roughly around the same time, a little bit before John Calvin's time. And that reformation begins to bleed out in the continent, across the continent. France is a dominated completely by Roman Catholicism, and it begins to kick out and begins to persecute all of those that are joining in the Reformation that's going on in Germany. One of those people that joins in to that Reformation is John Calvin. John Calvin, along with other French reformers, begin to flee to other places where, where, where they're Protestant or where they're empathetic to the Protestant Reformation. And John Calvin, along with others, they begin to flee to different places, but they end up in the state and the city-state of Geneva. It wasn't a city, it wasn't a city or a, a, a state of Switzerland like it is now. It was an open, free city-state, and it was a Protestant state. And just a year before Calvin arrives to Geneva, it turns Protestant. So all the buildings and all the churches in Geneva at that time when Calvin comes in, they're all Catholic. There's three main churches in the city of Geneva. They're all Roman Catholic. And on the outsides of Geneva, there's 12 other churches that are Roman Catholic buildings. That's, that was the religion of the time. So when Calvin comes into Geneva, what does he do? He reforms worship. Kind of what Hezekiah does where these buildings and these places of worship were erected to, to worship false gods and false deities, John Calvin comes in and he begins to restore the worship of the true God. What does he do? He whitewashes the walls of iconography. So all these walls that had all the images of all these saints and all these uh, Catholic images, they begin to be whitewashed completely. He tears down the crucifixes where Christ is crucified. He, he begins to tear down the altars, and then even the altars where the mass was done. He tears down the statues and, of the saints, and he tears down all the relics that, that the Genevan churches accumulated. He locks down the church organ, because the church organ was used to bring those, to call those to worship of Mary, and they sang venerations to Mary and the saints. In most cases, he covered up the stained glass windows because they portrayed images of Mary and of all the other saints that people would venerate. And then at the center of his Reformation was a wooden pulpit like this. And he puts it on the floor in the middle of the congregation where, as before, the pulpit was all the way in the back and in front was the altars, a big separation between the priest or the, the people of God and the regular people, and Calvin's like, no, the word of God needs to be with the people. He restored the worship of the church. And he brought people to worship according to what the word of God said. It's a similar parallel. It's not that much like Hezekiah, but it has some, some overtones in it by understanding that there is need for a reformation of worship. And if you ask yourself this this morning, do you, are you in need of a reformation in worship. Where are you worshiping at? And this location on Sunday morning isn't a good enough answer to say, oh, well, I'm here, aren't I? Doesn't this mean I'm worshiping here? No, that doesn't mean that you're worshiping here. You could be, your mind could be on a football game later on. 
Your mind could be on your fantasy football team. Your mind could be anywhere else but here. Most of us, if we are truly honest with ourselves, we need a reformation of worship. Kind of like in the days of Hezekiah. But let's drive this point further in. Hezekiah restores worship, but not only does he have this religious reform in mind. This is the beauty of of poetry, and this is the beauty of the writers of the Hebrew Bible. They point to Hezekiah not only in this regard. Hosea doesn't just see Hezekiah reforming worship. Hosea sees Hezekiah as God's grace over Israel and Judah. Because not only does he want to restore the worship, but he wants to unite Israel in proper worship. Again, where is Hezekiah the king? He's a king in the south. He's from Judah. What's going on in the north? They're done. They're in the moment, during this time of Hezekiah, their, their capital has been captured. Samaria has gone under siege. Israel has no land. It's all under Assyrian rule. And what does Hezekiah do? If you're tracking with me in chapter 30 of 2 Chronicles, I want to read this to you because this is very important. 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verses 6 and on. Read this very carefully. O people of Israel, this is Hezekiah sending message to the people of Israel. O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the, land, from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord of their fathers, so that he made them a desolation as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find what? Will find what? Compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is what? Is what? Gracious and, say it, merciful and will not turn away his phrase from you if you what (laughs) return to him what is hezekiah doing remember hosea is preaching to israel and he sees what hezekiah is doing and calling israel to repentance and Israel is to come back to God return to God which is what Hosea is going to be stressing throughout the entire book return because God is gracious and merciful look at the spiritual depravity of Israel what does verse 10 say Does anyone, can anyone read that? They mocked and laughed at him. They laughed at the carriers that brought the message. They laughed in their face. When they were called to repent, the people 
began to laugh. Always on church days, it begins to rain like this. Never fails. So what's going on? That it is, is a demonstration of Israel's lack of hope. They're completely hopeless now. And they have abandoned God. For them to laugh in the face of those who are bringing this message, it just shows how they are spiritually. It, it kind of fits well when you speak with a friend that has gone away from church or he grew up in church and now he's just out in the world enjoying his women, his beer, and his fast cars. And you say, hey, brother, that's not the right way to live. Some of you may say, like, hey, man, that's, pretty, that's a pretty darn good way to live. If you got all that going, well, spiritually, that's not the best way to go about things. And you try to call them back, and what do they do? They're just like, I am sick of religion. I am sick of church. I hate that. Don't talk to me about that. Just put that away. It's a lot of us that are confronted with that. And a lot of us have even felt that in our own life. We're just like, does this even matter anymore? And that was Israel's state of being. Now you, you begin to understand even more why Hosea is going to speak the way he speaks in his, in, his, in, in his prophecies and how God is going to speak through him because Israel has completely abandoned God at this point. Verse 11 brings a little bit of hope. It says that some, doesn't say all, it says some of the men humbled themselves. There it is. There it is again. Some choose to worship. Others prefer to stay where they're at, worshiping and under the rule of a foreign god. Sometimes that's more comfortable for some, but those who are sons and daughters of Christ understand when they are wrong. This is the whole concept of the New Testament parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, if he was like Israel, would have stayed with the pigs and been like, I'm just, I'm good here. But the prodigal son, like some of the men, returned back because they knew who their God was. They knew that what they were doing was wrong and they needed to return. And this is why Hezekiah is mentioned. This is why Hezekiah is important in this list of names of the men that, that Hosea puts out there. This is what God wants to do with Israel. He wants to bring them back. And when he calls them to repentance, only a few show up. But check this out. This is where it gets even better. That's why I love the Bible. It gets even better. Look at what happens in verses 17 through 20 with those people that came to, to Israel. It says, For there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Let's stop right there. It's talking about the people of Israel that came over. They came into Judah to worship, but it says that they had not been consecrated. Remember what's going on earlier in, in, in Hezekiah's reign? 
the, the Levites and the priests, everybody's being consecrated. Everyone's being cleansed because everyone's filthy and dirty. And the Israelites that just came over from Israel, it says they had not consecrated themselves. Therefore, the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to the Lord. So they provide a way for them. Verse 18, for a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, that's Israel, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed. For Hezekiah, here, here it is. I know these names may be difficult, but here's what's going on, okay? Let me paint the scene again for you guys. The message, Hezekiah sends a message to the north, and he says, come back. Repent, because God will be gracious with you. God is going to be merciful to you. Israel turns back and says, ha, 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 this is, you're, you're phony. We don't believe in this stuff. Get out of here. Laughs in their face. But a couple of the guys, a couple of the people in Israel jump over and they cross over to Judah, to Jerusalem. A couple of them. But they're filthy. Not only are they filthy physically, but spiritually they're filthy. They've been sacrificing what like king, like all these other kings have been doing. And you got to remember, I painted this last week. All the kings in Israel at this time are just under, are puppets of the Assyrian kings. They're just worshiping them, puppets of them. They're, they're only called kings because the kings of Assyria put them there. So that's why, that's why I don't even think Hosea mentions any of them in, in the superscription that we have in the first verse. He only mentions one. He doesn't mention any of the other kings because all the other kings are just puppets and there's about six of them in between this gap of Hezekiah's reign. And they're just puppets, puppets. And so all these people are filthy. They've been worshiping. They've been sacrificing to false gods. They're completely defiled spiritually. And they come over. And here we have this grand scene where all of the people in Judah are finally worshiping, are sacrificing to God, and they're being cleansed, and they're, and they're, and, and they're lifting up holy hands, and they're finally worshiping in the, in the right altars and before the right God and they're clean before God and they're holy before God and, and you get this wonderful scene of a holy people worshiping a holy God but then you got these dirty people coming in. These dirty Israelites, idolatrous, coming in saying, we want to seek for forgiveness. Here they are, filthy, dirty, Everyone's worshiping with holy hands, consecrated before God. And here we have these filthy people coming to worship because they recognize their flaws. And what happens? And Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone. This is what Hezekiah does. If you missed it in the verse, in the previous verse, 18. It says they had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover. Everyone else was cleansed, was pure, and they ate and they partook. Kind of what we did today. Everyone else was cleansed and was purified to eat, to participate. But the Israelites were not 
but they still ate. Why? Because Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, may the good Lord pardon everyone. Look at verse 19. Who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. Oh, that is a gut check. And that is why I, I believe with all my heart that Hezekiah's name is in that superscript, is in that first verse, because it is a symbol of what God wants to do with his people. A dirty, filthy people would be able to participate with a holy, clean God. But here's the catch. Because anyone who sets their heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, will be cleansed. God is not seeking the cleanse just everybody, just for the heck of it. Just because he's the nice God. No, God cleans those who seek after him with a right heart. Any one of you seeking after God with a good heart, we've said this before. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, your historical background. It doesn't matter if you're equally as filthy as Israel is at this present time. Are you seeking with all your heart after God? And Hezekiah stands in the gap. This is what God is providing his people. He's providing a mediator. He is providing an intercessor for his people. Who's praying for them? It's Hezekiah. Hezekiah prays and God pardons. And verse 20 Beautiful verse 20. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed his people. Wow. He healed his people. You got to look at the wording. He didn't clean his people. He healed them. Were they sick? Were they crippled? Were they in wheelchairs? What's going on here? What did... Because he's talking about an inner healing. When God heals, he heals the inside. What did Hezekiah clean in the beginning? The inside of the temple. He cleansed, cleansed it out completely. The utensils, all of the interior filth was cleansed. When God cleans the person, he cleans their heart and he heals their heart. That's what God wants to do. And by the grace of God, that's what God is still doing now. Hezekiah intercedes, prays for his people. God hears what he prays, and he cleanses them. Don't we have a great God? Isn't God amazing? When you, if you ever sing that song here with us, you may think it's just an old school song, Amazing Grace. You're like, oh, another hymn, gosh. Again, I want you to sing it with conviction. You ever hear, if we sing it next week or if we sing it in another two weeks, if we ever sing it again, you sing it with conviction. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because you know, 
well as I know, that I'm no good before God. I'm just, I'm a terrible human being. But before God, being cleansed by his blood and being healed from the inside, I'm able to participate. I'm able to stand with the rest of you guys here, lift up holy hands, and give God glory. This is God. And this is what's happening in Israel. The last king, just to close it out, just because I don't want to do another week <laughs> on verse 1, Jeroboam the second is really not even important because there's only about four to five references in his, to him in the book of Kings and, and, and a little bit in the book of Chronicles. But it starts off, you don't even need to go there, but you just need to know this. He was an evil king. And the only reason, and, and here's where you see God's grace again. This is how interesting. Hezekiah demonstrates God's grace. King Jeroboam II, even being evil, demonstrates God's grace because while King Jeroboam II was reigning in Israel, the kingdom of Assyria was kind of weak. So this is coming back way before Hezekiah. So Jeroboam reigns for 42 years, relative peace, but because Assyria is weak. And in this weakness, Israel's able to enjoy. Kind of God bringing them back. Kind of God letting them know, here's what I can provide. But when they turn away, then God uses the very Assyrians to bring destruction over his people. After Jeroboam, before Jeroboam, like I mentioned, there was no good kings except for one. After Jeroboam II, no good kings. If you look at the story of all the kings of Israel, you will see one king. That is good. And his name is Jehu, who lived uh, a little bit after him. Sorry, a little bit before him. No other good king, only one. And that's why Israel was the way it was. Israel was destroyed, completely desecrated. It was said of Israel that they knew of the Ten Commandments, kind of the way we know of the, the parables of Jesus Christ. Most of us, even if you don't go to church, you kind of have heard of the Good Samaritan or the Sermon on the Mount, or the, par the parable of the prodigal son. Many people have heard it in the United States, but they don't know the essence. And it was said of Israel that they knew the Ten Commandments, but it was just kind of a fairy tale for them. That was who they were. Now Assyria has dominated and taken over completely the people of God. And that, my friends, is what we're going to dive into for the next couple of months in Hosea's message. I got one minute left, and this is what I want to do in this minute. I want to show you some images. I never do this, so you guys are going to be treated with some cool images here. Let's look at the first image of the king, Tiglath-Pileser, the other one. This is the king, Tiglath-Pileser III, who... King Ahaz bowed to. This is the king taking over in, in, in war and combat. And you see those three people over there? You see what they're hanging on? They're hanging on a stick. Who are those people? They're the Israelites. These are people depicted, not in the Bible, but these are, these are Assyrian 
annals of what's going on. This is, this, you find these in museums of, of King Tiglath-Pileser III. This is his relief and his depiction of what he's doing. And look at how bad the Israelites are hanging. That's what he did to the Israelites. And you ask yourself, King Ahaz asked for his help? This is the guy that's around when Jonah preaches, too. His message is around the same moment. And so the, the next one, I just want to show you the next one, which is, you can't really read the, the subscription there, but Nimrod tablet. This is just to prove to you that this, all these occurrences happened. This tablet is in the museum in England, I believe, and it has the names of all the kings of Israel that they conquered. Not, it's not a biblical thing. It's, it's an Assyrian uh, artifact that was excavated and is now in a museum, and it holds there the kings of Israel that the Assyrians conquered. So I just wanted to show that to you, and praise God that we closed off verse 1. How many of you can say amen? Stand, let's get to our feet. Tell the person next to you, good job for hanging in there. Three weeks in verse 1, we did it. So now, with these last seconds, I'm just going to call you guys to check yourselves. <laughs> two roads, two kings, two, two people to worship. Who are you going to worship today? Father, we come to you with this very conviction of Hezekiah's message. If we return, if we come back, if we are not stiff-necked, hard-headed, we will find grace and compassion in you. If we seek you with all of our heart, I pray that if there's people here that are far from God, I pray that if there's people here that, that don't even know what it means to be a Christian, I pray you open their eyes and call their hearts out. Say, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but you are also their God. And you have provided an intercessor for them through Jesus Christ. Father, bring your children to you. And the rest of us, we ask for forgiveness if we've sought after other gods. Now we're coming to you. Hearts of grace and compassion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.